And I think this is one of the things that I want to advocate for with this with the society is that the importance of valuing our history, valuing our stories, but not just that, but systematically documenting it arts organizations, cultural organizations to invest not only in events, but also invest in strategy, right? What are the actual goals? What what are we actually moving towards and have such clear clarity around that? I think when, when you have clarity, then it enables you to have conversations from a different place. And then when there's overlap, then I think strong collaborations and partnerships could happen, you know. So I'm here today with Jesse Ryan, a Juno-nominated composer and saxophonist. You're also um, the leader of Kaiso Street Collective. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing with Kaiso Street Collective? So the Kaiso Street Collective was launched in February 2023 as part of Black History Month sort of like offerings. And the producer of the premiere was Joy Bullen. Shout out to Joy Bullen. And... So she has this sort of series that she does every year where she finds, uh, you know, a black artist. Most of them that I've seen in, in the past have been you know, Caribbean, you know, have some kind of Caribbean heritage. And um, she assists in the, in the production and the funding, right? Because usually projects that are sort of aspirational and you need some kind of backing to you be able to do it, right? So, so she uh, worked hard to, to do that. And I had been sort of thinking about this project at least a year mm-hmm. before that. And basically, so my, my grandfather is the Mighty Bomber, uh, Caleb Sonnen from Trinidad and Tobago. And he passed away on January 1st, 2022. Mm-hmm. And so when he passed away, I sat down and I wrote this proposal about a project that I could, you know, do that would sort of honor him and also clips the traditions and when the opportunity came to work with Joy, I thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to sort of launch this project. Mm-hmm. So I put together a group of some of my favorite musicians, jazz musicians in the city. And it's nine of us. It's a nonet. And so what we it's do a is... What? Nonet. What's that? Nine people playing music together. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, within the jazz tradition, there's sort of a, a, a tradition of like nonet music, mm-hmm. nine musicians. So, so yeah. So it was also part of like my master's program. I'm doing a master's in music composition right now. And I thought, okay, it would be a cool way to sort of write for a larger ensemble. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of the group is to celebrate calypso tradition specifically from like the golden era of calypso so anything from like you know 1920s all the way up to this 70s maybe 80s too mm-hmm. um but yeah so we choose one calypsonian we take their work and we reimagine it through the lens of this sort of like modern jazz ensemble and it's really inspired by the work of the sf jazz collective who is uh, the san francisco jazz jazz collective so yeah, that's in the process of doing research and into my grandfather's music, also like the historic and cultural context of the music and all of that. I was realizing that there was this huge gap mm-hmm. in terms of things being documented. Well, it was so hard to do the research because most of it is really documented in the newspapers and through the songs of the Calypsonians. And then there are some, you know, academics that have done you know, like ethnomusicology work. 
but it was still hard to get my hands on some of that information and then there's like no listening libraries really there's mm. the old stuff is so hard to find so anyway so in the process of preparing for this premiere that led me to create the Kaiser Street Society, which is the organization that okay. the Kaiser Street Collective is now a part of. Okay. Yeah. I, I like what you were saying about it's so hard to kind of find this stuff because that's the reason why I started this podcast too is because I have so many questions that I wanted answers to, particularly as it relates to Jab Jab, mm-hmm. Carnival traditions mm-hmm. in Grenada specifically because yeah. I'm like, what? what's the truth and where do I find it? Right. And I'm sure that's kind of maybe something similar that you were thinking with calypso and trying to find the music absolutely absolutely so a bit of my history is that i didn't really grow up around calypso so i grew up in the pentecostal church in a very christian household Mm -hmm. and uh but i knew my grandfather the calypsonian the first time i heard him actually perform though was on television and i was like around 13 years old right so when i fell in love with music and jazz and um i was surrounded by some you know local jazz musicians in Trinidad who were really pioneers of like the Kaiso jazz, Calypso jazz kind of genre, and so they kind of put a seed um, in my ear and in my heart for like you know finding you know ancestral DNA through mm-hmm. the music and all of that. And so when I went to the states to to Berkeley to to study, I kind of went on this journey of learning jazz, this new music that I fell in love with when in my sort of like mid teens. But also trying to look back at like you know, what's my own history, right? Yeah. And um, you mentioned Grenada. My grandfather, Mighty Bomber, is from Grenada. Oh, right? nice. So yeah, it's been just sort of this this journey of trying to find, as you mentioned, the the truth, trying to find ancestral DNA through the music. But I think it's important to note that when I was growing up, even when I started to get into music, it was hard to get like mentorship. Mm-hmm. Because there was gatekeeping a lot, people didn't want to share still information. Yeah, and I didn't. I can't even blame them because I think they also experienced the gatekeeping, right? So it's just like this generational mm-hmm. thing of gatekeeping, and um, yeah. So it was it was tough, and um, a lot of my artistic pursuits over the last, let's say, ten to fifteen years has been focused on Afro Caribbean musical traditions. And doing research. So what exactly is Kaiso? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so Kaiso is... Um, I've heard, you know, different origins of, of, of the word. But Kaiso is is a phrase that they would use in in the calendar and, and, and like, the stick fighting. Um, oh. So it's, it's a word that cheers on the fighters to go on. Oh, cool. Right? So, and so when... Calypso traditions were developing, they actually started to use the word to cheer on Calypsoians as well. And mm. so the word Kaiso became synonymous with Calypso. Mm. So Kaiso is Calypso. And so for those of you listening who have no idea what Calypso is, I mean, it's kind of hard to think that you don't know what Calypso <laughs> is. But um, yeah, so Calypso is at its core protest music. And it was the voice of people who didn't have a voice. It came out of the the slave experience in Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, really carnival traditions. Mm-hmm. So, the the slaves they would they would mimic the French masters, and uh, that led to the development of um, griots. You know, the griots were the were the were the, the, the men most time that would that would sing. Um, 
And so that tradition developed into Calypso music and they used that tradition to talk about current issues. Many times it was about the unfair treatment by the colonial masters, about the state of affairs sometimes, and then also world issues, right? Mm-hmm. So it was really like the, the, the poor man's newspaper. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I know at, at this core Calypso is. In around the 1950s, once Calypso... Sat, well, in the 1930s, rather, a bunch of Calypsonians got the opportunity to travel to New York okay. to record Calypsos. And so post-World War as well, Calypso was kind of going worldwide. Mm-hmm. And I think it was around the 50s, 60s that I think Calypso got a little bit corrupted. But we'll talk about it when, if, we, if we get a chance to. That's well, another, that's another let, conversation. Let, let's talk about it now. Because <laughs> that was going to be the next thing I was going to ask okay. you. Yeah, because I remember in our conversation, you were talking about how something happened when it went to the States. and Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface what I'm going to say by, by saying that I had the opportunity to speak at York University just a month ago. And it was the context was the work I'm doing with the Kaiser Street Society. Mm-hmm. So Calypso is known worldwide as this, you know, lighthearted, upbeat, and even frivolous music, right? But as I mentioned earlier, Calypso is really protest music. And I think the notion of it being simple, sort of rural music came from, well, it, it, it was, it started sort of brewed during well, 1950s, the Calypso craze. So there was a Calypso craze that happened in 1950s where Calypso became really popular. It was in movies, it was in all the nightclubs in the in, in the US. And I didn't notice till like, I started to do the research, right? Mm-hmm. There's at one point there were articles that would talk about Calypso taking over rock and roll in the 50s as like the popular music. And so obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah so you had prominent Calypsonians like um the, probably the most prominent one in our own world is you know, Harry Belafonte, right? Mm-hmm. However, his heritage is Jamaican, right? And the album um, was a tribute to his own Jamaican heritage. It had nothing to do with Trinidad and Tobago, right? And uh, on that album, he actually records one of my grandfather's calypsos, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's called Gloria. And his popularity, I think really helped to propel Calypso internationally. But I also think that it also helped to share some misconceptions about what Calypso actually is. Mm-hmm. And um, so people think that it's, it's... When people think about Calypso, they think about Harry Belafonte. But he was actually... Um, I don't want to use the word appropriating, but I think there is a level of appropriation when it, when it comes to like... Um, the originations of of the music itself, right? And he was, I think, he himself was responsible in terms of giving the artists that he covered their songs, like giving them credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go How, online. Explain explain what you mean by he appropriated it, like in your in your ideas. Yeah, I mean, um, so he had his own Caribbean heritage. So I'm being careful when I say appropriated, but mm-hmm. I think his because of how popular he became, mm-hmm. people associated Calypso with Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, lots of times, they didn't think about the people's songs that he was covering. He was covering, right? So, so he wasn't writing his own? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay. I don't think he... 
don't quote me on it, but I don't no think problem. he ever wrote, you know, his, you know, his own clip. So he was he was either doing covers or singing like folk songs. Okay. So um and there's a bunch of you know there's all the politics with records and all of that 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 you know i think affected you know why he he rose to popularity as opposed mm-hmm. to other other people mm-hmm. he was also really good friends with martin luther king oh so the civil rights movement in the 1960s um you know harry belafonte would perform at some of the rallies, mm. there's pictures of Martin Luther King and Harry Belafonte, like right beside him in some of these major rallies. So he helped fund um, the civil rights movement, mm. some of the campaigns, and he also bailed Martin Luther King out of prison a couple of times. So this Calypso history is running real deep. Right? So Calypso was actually really juxtaposed to the civil rights movement through the work of Harry Belafonte. So I'm being careful about how I say this because I think he did really significant and important and positive work around Calypso. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a, a, a backside to this story mm-hmm. where his overshadowing popularity really casted a shadow on the originators mm-hmm. of the music. And the Calypso craze, I think, helped to create an appetite for Calypso that wasn't true to the original intent of Calypso. People thought thought about Trinidad as this tourist destination with sun sand and sea and you can go have a good time and you know it's sexy music but it's protest music that was formed like in an urban era mm-hmm. of you know, in the capital and in, in you know in Laventille and 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 belmont um port of spain and tobago and it's really about the struggle of the people nice yeah. and what to ask you because i think it's very interesting to hear you talk about how calypso music was connected to you know the civil rights movement in the states in in a capacity i've never heard that before i didn't make the connection either until i was working on this kaiser street collective project and um i did a gig leading up to that with the incredible piano player from grenada nice eddie bullen in toronto and um yeah he mentioned and i was like oh shoot I never made that connection, you mm. know. So, and 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 that's one of the challenges, right? And that's why I think the work that of the Kaiser Society is super important because so much of the history has not been documented well, and and in the you know ad hoc ways that it has been documented, there's no hub mm-hmm. for to access that information. So, is that you know? something that you guys are working on creating that's, a mu- that listening library? And absolutely, things? absolutely. So, if I were to just kind of you know, describe what what the organization is going to do. We're working on preserving, celebrating Calypso traditions. Um, we're highlighting its connection to the jazz tradition mm-hmm. um, because that's another thing that, you know, we forget a lot of the Calypso musicians were also jazz musicians. Oh, wow. Right? And there was this crossover of sharing of information. You know, Calypsonians in the 1930s went to New York, which is like the hub of, you know, mm-hmm. of jazz. Yeah. Um, and so we also... Try, want to reframe Calypso's global narrative as music for social change, right? Mm. We know that there's a party element. We know that it's it's fun music. And I think at the heart of most like black music created in the new world, there's this element of like just juxtaposing the feel-good element with like deeper, serious themes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you think of like R&B, like original R&B or like the blues, it all feels good. And if you if you don't listen to the lyrics, you'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. But when you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of like hinting at deeper stories. So it's music for social change. We're trying to create a hub 
for Calypso artists, Calypso researchers, and educators, and fans around the world. And uh, three main activities would be research, presentation of Calypso with our the Kaiser Street Collective. We're working on a Kaiser Street big band as well. That would be kind of like a legacy ensemble that would take the old arrangements and uh, perform them as is like you know if you think of like you know r&b pop hip-hop there's there's tons of cover bands yeah that you know i recently saw somebody cover outcast outcast elevators in like a symphony no way yeah it sounded amazing i was like yo this sounds so good so you is it like you guys would be covering old calypso yeah covering all covering all yeah we'd be covering old calypsos one of the things that people ask, you know, when I talk about the IJ is that, you know, or actually I was talking to a guy on Instagram. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, is it like only old stuff you're doing? And so I can get the sense of people like, oh, like there's new stuff too. We want to hear some soak about. I really think Calypso is timeless. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also a genre that, I don't know, it's like this, it's kind of untapped in that if you look around the Afro-Caribbean diaspora or even like in the in the States, all the styles of music that popped up, you know, in the in the 19th century or even the 20th century, there's like generations of musicians taking that music and developing it. Mm-hmm. In Trinidad and around Calypso, not really, you know. So there's literally decades of music for to draw inspiration from mm-hmm. and to do something with. So, so. Yeah. What I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. it just sounds like Kaiso Street Collective is like this past, present, future type thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the collective is the ensemble. Okay. Right? The Kaiso Street Society, Society. Right, okay. is, the, is the organization. Yeah. So uh, part of our vision is to be able to present Calypso to diverse audiences across oceans or Mm -hmm. you know and across generations as well that's so cool so what are maybe some of the initiatives that you guys have coming up if any or like i don't know some some ideas that you have for the future because listen if you say it on here there might be somebody out there (laughs) who can help you and say oh i know where to get this absolutely absolutely well i've been trying to be intentional with connecting with people in the city who are already experts in Mm -hmm. in this so i the, the work of the the society is to be a connector yeah. because one of the things that's happening or that has been happening is that Calypso and arts organ- cultural organizations rarely ever collaborate mm-hmm. and pool resources. I think there are four like main Calypso hubs like around the world. So there's Trinidad and Tobago, of course, there's Toronto, there's New York, and then there's London, yeah. right? So if you're out there and you want one of those places, hit me up, all right? Um, but yeah, so in terms of initiatives, we're working on a lecture series, a curated lecture series, where we try to pair subject matter experts on Calypso with universities. That is so right? cool. To get them talking about, about the history and the universities and colleges uh, around the world, they have the infrastructure, they have the funding, and I think there is... We're living in a time where the voices of Afro-Caribbean people and African people in general are being, um, you know, prioritized. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, giving, we're being given the opportunity to step into spaces that, you know, otherwise we probably wouldn't have given opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think the time is right to do things like that. I want to partner with it, with those colleges to, to create a 
both literature and listening li libraries around Calypso. They have been, um, you know, graduate and doctoral students that have done research on mm -hmm. Calypso or, or just like musicologists. Um, so we want to create uh, a library. We're, we know that we're going to have to partner with some sort of like tech um, innovator to figure out exactly what that would look like, mm -hmm. whether uh, it's on our end or whether it's a sort of online portal that gives you access mm -hmm. to other uni uh, universities' um, libraries. So that's one thing. The stories of Calypsonians have also been not, not been documented. So like biographical yeah. stories. The biographical stories of Calypsonians and their work overlap so much with like historical, cultural things. So it's it's not just their history, but it's also our history mm -hmm. as, a, as a people. So I think that's important. And we want to advocate, in the process of doing that, we want to advocate for the value of like cultural artifacts, newspaper clippings. Yeah. Because it's so hard to do research because a lot of times the research or the, the, the artifacts that we're looking for are in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And the government organizations and colleges actually haven't done a great job of, and I'm talking about like in the Caribbean, in Trinidad and Tobago, mm -hmm. um, of systematically documenting systematically making it available to the youth and the next generation systematically making it part of primary secondary tertiary educational curriculum right mm -hmm. i know that the university of trinidad is doing some great work now now they have a carnival studies master's program and That's a carnival so cool. yeah and a carnival studies undergrad program and i think it runs the full gamut of like you know mass making music and on like entrepreneurship I think mm -hmm. that, and history as well. So on the that's on like in the research advocacy kind of kind of realm. In terms of presentation, we want to have three ensembles, one of which already exists, the Kaiser Street Collective. Mm -hmm. We just applied for a first round of project grants, and we're just kind of waiting to hear back, hoping mm -hmm. to record our first record next year, which will be the music of the Mighty Bomber. And um, we're working with the what's his name? We're working with Okpa is the Calypso Association here mm -hmm. uh, to program some shows next year and in collaboration with the Kaiser Street Big Band. So it will be mostly covers and we'll feature some local Calypsonians in, in the city. And the third element, which is probably a little bit down the road, will be to form a youth uh, ensemble that will work mm. alongside. Yeah, absolutely. Because it has to have an intergenerational mm -hmm. element to work alongside with those uh, the other ensembles yeah I love that so much so you started this February 2022 that's when we launched the Kaiju Collective yes okay. and I was doing research maybe like three months before that just kind of preparing um yeah so you started like mentally you started the like end of ago. 2021 yeah but exactly. you have done so much in the process well that's kind of my nature when i when i focus on something i go like i'm kind of i kind of get obsessed with it and i go hard i know so. exactly what that's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i can agree with you i'm the, I'm the same way too yeah. but it's just so incredible to see like how much you're doing and you know being able to connect with post-secondary institutions and stuff like that yeah, how have yeah. you been able to do so much in such a short period of time well uh, like i said like i get really you know absorbed in something and i just kind of throw myself directly into it i've 
had an incredible like community of people just kind of helping me connect with people that would that are the movers and shakers in the various you know um corners mm-hmm. of the of the community so it's been a lot of conversations reaching out to people and saying hey this is what i'm thinking you know can we have a meeting i think i've probably had at least i don't know like 15 to 20 meetings in the last two months mm-hmm. with like just different people here in toronto in trinidad just talking about the project getting the advice and uh yeah shout out to all the the people who have been doing amazing work in this space around calypso and around just like carnival traditions because i think those people are usually seen as insignificant and they are really the unsung you know heroes sometimes they just kind of focus on doing the work because they're just like so ingrained in it and they love it and so it's been kind of like relying on their expertise mm-hmm. as well and asking questions uh shout out to king cosmos yeah so shout out to henry gomez king cosmos he came to the show in february and um he kind of reminded me of my grandfather as well he kind of really embraced me and mm-hmm. so we've had lots of great conversation he's been a great support shout out to everybody else i've I've spoken to it too many names to, to remember mm-hmm. right now to just basically consult we have a bunch of advisors and i've put together uh, a team of partners and uh, some volunteers as well that's been helping me do some of the research and some of the administrative things to get the organization up and running so the organization is you know it's registered it's a you know legit entity right mm-hmm. now and we're working on the strategic plan for the first five years and I'm waiting on some project funding. And we have our soft launch uh, on December 8th. Mm-hmm. So for the research aspect yes. of it, you have people helping you do the research. But what does actually doing the research look like? So I can tell you what I've done. Mm-hmm. And then I can tell you what we're hoping to do in the yeah. future. So in terms of research, I have been collecting any and every article that I could have, like I find online relating to calypso and right now it's at first at rather it was on specific topics so when i was researching my grandfather's stuff it was just like anything related to him anything on youtube anything any article anybody wrote i um downloaded you know his library from you know records online oh and i have to mention that i've been working with the amazing researcher so yeah i've been working with the amazing ray funk um, he lives in Alaska and he's done so much work in this space and he just actually received an award from the Trent Tobago government on his the work that he did on research. Uh, some people in Toronto might know his name because he's done work in, with Caribana and interviewing folks. Um, How were you able to connect with him? He actually reached out to me in February. I think somebody shared the poster that I, of the event I was having in February. And he saw, you know, it was related to my granddad. So he reached out to me. And then we jumped on a Zoom call. We started talking. I'm like, and I shared the vision with him. And he actually was one of the first people that kind of like really encouraged me to keep mm-hmm, doing the work mm-hmm. that I'm doing. So I've been working with him, both advising on the strategy for research. And then he's done so much research. He's been actually sending me stuff from the, his, his library of research. So, yeah, relying on people like him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm forgetting your question. I'll just remind No, I, I wanted to know what the research looks right. like. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's that. And um, I've just been trying to find everything I can online and just 
comparing things to see, okay, this overlaps, this makes sense. We would like to... Oh, the other thing I've been doing is reading just like research papers. So a bunch of people have, you know, wrote, wrote academic sort of publications on Calypso or mm-hmm. like specific topics for like their master's or doctoral uh, dissertations. And because I'm doing my, my master's program, I had access to some of those through my sort of like school's library and so yeah i just kind of downloaded everything i'm still kind of working my way through it but yeah so just just that we would like to partner with more students masters and doctoral students to sort of do some of the work so basically we would kind of create a topic i have a connection for you i think great somebody reached out to me recently on instagram Mm -hmm. shout out to the girl that reached out to me (laughs) she is part of oise Okay. UFT. That's okay. like their that's like their teacher master's teacher program, yep. and they're going to be having some Black History Month coming up. She actually just asked me to 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 kind of be a part of that. But awesome. they're like focused on Caribbean connect like that kind of stuff. So Lovely. I'll, yes. I'll I'll put that connect together because yes. she's she's a master's student and she's a part of I think it's like a, a African Caribbean society cool. at U of T. So cool, cool, cool. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the cool thing about this podcast is when we come, we have these conversations. There's ideas, there's connections, all these yeah. things that happen. So yeah. I just wanted to. Yeah, the, the connection is 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 important. I think we're we're living in a in a in a time where like every time I have these conversations, like there's a spark, yes. and I can tell something is happening. Right. I agree. So yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Listen, it's God, and because Absolutely. I said to you, I said to you on the phone the other day, and when I said it, you know, sometimes you say something, you know, that was true. Yeah. yeah. When I said to you on the phone, I said, listen, every single one of us, we each have a puzzle piece yes. in this thing, yes. and we have to come together and put every single one of our pieces together so we can push forward Absolutely. for the culture and and find out the history and then push forward because i think we're all getting to the point where it's like okay if we keep continuing on this path of not knowing we're all just going to be lost i think that's important so one of the things and i think it has implications for both for both african people but then also society at large so when i was on my very very first sort of um, consultation when I was forming this society, I put together a group of people that were either in education or in the art sector that were related to like, you know, the African-Caribbean community in some way. At least most of them were. And anyway, so one of the questions, one of the persons on the meeting asked was why? Mm. Like what's, what's the purpose and what is the benefit for society at large? Because to do this is going to take a significant amount of resources and f- and funding to do it right and so funding institutions often want to know what is the large scale benefit of this project who is it going to ben- benefit right so it kind of got me thinking about you know calypso its global impact as music for social change and um you mentioned just con- continuing not knowing right and i think this is one of the things that I want to advocate for with this with the society is that the importance of valuing our history, valuing our stories, but not just that, but systematically documenting it. And for organizations, uh, Calypso organizations, you know, arts organizations, cultural organizations, to invest not only in in events but also invest in strategy 
right? What are the actual goals? What what are we actually moving towards? And have such clear clarity around that. I think when when you have clarity, then it enables you to have conversations from a different place. And then when there's overlap, then I think strong collaborations and partnerships could happen, you know. And then there's so much alignment there that you just find your people. Absolutely. They reach out to you. Absolutely. The man from Alaska reached out to you. You reached out to me. Yep. And it's just this big yep. energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, the work that you guys will continue to do. I think in the future, eventually, I would love to have like an organization that partners with organizations like you. I know you said a lot of people don't collaborate. I'm 100% for collaboration because the only way to move forward is together. And the work is a lot bigger than than me. So that's one of the thing I was, right. things I was really aware of when I was starting this is that this, I mean, I have familiar connections to Calypso and I love Calypso and all of that. But the work is so much bigger than me that it, it'll only happen with partnerships, with collaborations, with not wanting to gatekeep, not yeah. wanting to control. I think that's another thing that, that really has plagued our community. Just like everybody, you know, wanting to get a piece of the pie for themselves and being willing to dismiss everybody else in the pursuit of yeah. that thing. You know, it's it happens both on an individual level, but also at an organizational level you know and we see that too with like mask making with one of the the episodes that i had one of the questions that somebody asked me and i I asked the person that i was interviewing was like do you feel like mask making the tradition of mask making is something that's gatekept and she was like yeah like i I actually do think it's gatekept and it's a similar kind of like mentality where she's like you know this is the way that people kind of you know it's their bread and butter it's how they make a living so if they are to train people and teach them how to make masks and it could be taking something away from them. Yeah. So kind of having that, like, I don't know, like, I guess you can call it a scarcity mentality, but when you look at it from a different perspective, it's like, if I'm able to, maybe I'm not going to teach the whole world, but if I just take on one person and show them the culture and show them the traditions, I know that it will continue. And it's not just about me making my money right now. Yeah, It's about making sure that the culture is preserved and not somebody going on YouTube or buying the the bra on Fashion Nova. I don't know if you saw Fashion Nova. Had I've seen some, yeah, stuff. people were I've upset seen about stuff. that. And yeah. understandably. But, but here's the thing. You can't get upset with Fashion Nova um, and other people. So like, for example, with, with Steel Pan, one of the patents um, belongs to... Uh, uh, Japan. Okay. So there's this saying from um, somebody that's very well known that I wouldn't say the name, but some of you might know the saying. The saying is opportunity lurks where responsibility is abdicated. Meaning what? So there's a couple ways to, to, to look at it. So the context that it's, it's used is to, you know, if you want to do great things in the world, first look around your immediate environment and see what you have ignored in mm-hmm. your immediate environment and fix that first those are the first opportunities to fix something in the world right but i also think um it could be, be used to ex- express you know we as a people have also abdicated some of our responsibilities to um to keep our traditions preserve our traditions. and there, there's lots of systemic sort of uh, factors that also have you know led to that but I think by and large, you know, government organization, cultural organizations have abdicated the responsibility and as a people as well, right? So there's lots of opportunity for, you know, for irresponsible, you know, sort of appropriation mm-hmm. from people who see, you know, there's capital to be made here, mm-hmm. right? 
So I have a sort of interesting perspective on what you just shared to, I was reading one of the, a research paper and I can't remember the, the person who wrote the paper. She was researching dance traditions in Kariku, Grenada. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about the idea of we have a duality in, in the Caribbean and I think she was also extending it to anybody who came from the tradition of like, you know, being colonized. Yeah. That we love our traditions, but at the same time, because we were taught to hate it, we also hate it at the same time. Yeah. And so there's this duality where we we love it, but we, it's, it's, it's a weird connection to it. And I think what, what sometimes happens is that we see that sort of mentality trickle down in terms of how we gatekeep things, in, in terms of who we choose to embrace versus who we choose to push away. Because there is a sort of racial, there is a colorism thing that also is pervasive in our society, in our community rather, yeah. where, you know, people who don't look like me and you, uh, but might be part of the community, their voices are sometimes, you know, celebrated a lot more, mm. right? And it's it's the colonial thing, you know? And so I think there's all of this, like, decolonization, and, and I don't use that word lightly at all, right? I, you know, that's kind of a buzzword right now, you know, <laughs> in, in, you know, North America and around the world. I didn't, I had, I grew up with such a different racial, you know, lens, you know, of intimate race relations. So I don't use racial terms, you know, lightly at all, but... My last trip home to Trinidad, I was noticing how much colonialism still exists yeah. on the island. And it's taken the form now from colonialism to classism, mm-hmm. right? And elitism, you know, mm-hmm. if you line with certain people and if you have money and if you present a particular way, we'll elevate those voices as, as opposed to, you know, and it's the same thing. It's just a different version of the same thing, you know? Hmm. Yeah. There, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know if I'm if I'm it's so like it's it's such a multi-layered conversation. Yeah, it's, and it's deeply entrenched. Absolutely. And yeah, so so for me, I it's something that I really dislike. It's something that I I wanna say I battle with it like mentally every yeah. day, just like how do we move past these things because it's so entrenched in yeah, us? Yeah, to the point where a lot of us don't even acknowledge it. We just think it's normal. We think it's normal. Yeah, and and it's hard to have the conversations around it because it's multi-layered and a lot of times the conversations around race relations, colorism, colonization, all of that stuff. One person is talking about it on one level and the other person is talking on a different level. So yeah. you never really reach any conclusions because I think if I'm talking to somebody one-on-one, that's one level of conversation. But if I'm talking about uh, a systemic thing, that's a yeah. totally different conversation. You know? I so. think some of the ways that we see that happening too is like as it relates to carnival. Like I know one of the issues and I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure, but just from what I've heard is that 
some of the locals are getting priced out of well maybe they're smaller bands but i know that some of the locals are getting priced out of being able to participate in carnival because of the cost of it another thing in trinidad specifically Mm -hmm. maybe in other islands too i'm sure because a lot of the foreigners and people in the diaspora are coming and they're spending u.s Mm -hmm. dollars well that's 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 the elitism that i was just talking about Well, that's what i'm saying and then another thing that i heard um i interviewed another guest shout out to carnival bay she was saying that oh yeah you know some of the bands in trinidad like you have to send a photo of yourself to get to be able to play in the band and i was like "Eh?" i was like what do you mean you have to send i was like so before they'll take your money they have to see what you look and i think that's just another way that the classism or elitism or like only people with a certain kind of could play in we band like you know (laughs) exactly exactly that's exactly what it is and it's it's sad and there is a small subset of people that are benefiting from from that mm-hmm. and other people are being left out of it. And I, I think this is why the work of this, not to, you know, to sell it, but to, this is the, why the work of, the, of what I want to do is, is so important. Yeah. Because what we're discussing right now only exists because we've actually forgotten the actual history. Yeah. of where the music comes from how it was created why it was created and how you know the there were riots when you know the first carnival um, celebration happened because the english colonialists didn't want it to happen they mm-hmm. were seeing how the music was helping the people form identity and that identity gave them the ability to cooperate and that cooperation led to resistance. Yeah. And so they wanted to shut it down. So it's, it's the same sort of thing, just another version of it. And um, my hope is to be able to advocate for people to see, to first of all, know the history mm-hmm. and then draw uh, conclusions from yeah. the history and be able to do better, you know, and make more responsible choices uh, some people are still going to do what they're going to do because mm-hmm. it's putting money in their pocket. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is, but yeah. And I think too, the more that we learn our history, although it can be difficult to find, it is incredibly empowering. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. It's incredibly empowering. It's just like, oh my gosh, so you mean this and that and that. So for example, one of the things that I learned was that um, when the drums were banned, mm-hmm. it's because we used to send messages yeah. to each other and communicate with these drums. I had no idea. Absolutely. And so I was sharing with you that my debut album, I feature tambourine music. Mm -hmm. So tambourine drums, you know, it's a small frame drum. It's like a tambourine, but there's, it's like a tambourine, but there's no jingles Mm -hmm. on it. And so the instrument was formed out of the, the band that happened. So they couldn't play their, you know, African traditional drums anymore. So they created this small drum that would be easily concealable wow so that they can still do what they're doing but they can hide it quickly so yeah that is so cool see little things like that i don't there's no textbook for me to go to the history of the entire caribbean and and your roots it's like all this work that has to be done and that's why i love having these conversations because not only do i get to learn but i get to share it with everybody else you get to share what you know with the people i get to ask questions you know and i get to learn as well because I, i there's so much that I'm still learning, yeah, and um, and it's 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 humbling and it's exciting at the same time. And I think that's the thing too. The more that I have these conversations, is the more that I realize that we're all still learning. 
Absolutely. There is no one expert on all of it. And again, none of it has really been documented like that. And and what has been documented, and I think I talked about this in another episode. Actually, no, I was having a conversation. This this is about it, like indigenous. Actually, no, in the Caribbean too. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was this white lady who went around to different like indigenous communities and throughout the Caribbean and stuff. And she recorded... I believe it was like the people's music and stuff like that. And she created like some sort of archive that she was able to make money off of. But all the people who played the music and stuff like that, they, they don't receive anything. Right. So I just wanted to to share that. Cause I just, I don't know. I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know who that lady is specifically, but there have been many ethnomusicologists, researchers that yeah. have come to the Caribbean and recorded and um under the i think some of them are probably well intended just Mm -hmm. just out of curiosity yeah but because they did the work and they have these recorded assets and nobody signed off on it now they could they had the opportunity to you know profit off of it there are some organizations that haven't necessarily made those recordings available like commercially mm-hmm. so they don't sell them but they still have ownership yeah. of the, so like um what is it? it's called um because they own a, a big chunk of like calypso libraries and th- those libraries were donated to them through various small record labels smithsonian folklore smithsonian folklore okay yeah so they the smithsonian organization they have a Smithsonian Folkways part of the organization that has a large listening library of folk music from all around the world. And so they own, you know, some of the catalogs of smaller Calypso records that recorded Calypso mm-hmm. back in the day. Some of whom were recording on like Cook Records. M. Roy Cook was uh, one of the, the guys from, he's from, from New York. He actually recorded my grandfather as well. And so there's a couple others. The history of it is kind of I don't know exactly, so I don't mm. want to I don't want to say. But it's always kind of yeah yeah yeah. So and and it's because sometimes it's gatekeeping. Yeah. Sometimes it's you know somebody saw the opportunity to do it, and sometimes it's also just like poor management and poor planning. What was the quote that you said about abdicate? Yeah. So it's opportunity looks where responsibility is abdicated 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 exactly and abdicated means to um it means to not take to not take responsibility right to not follow up on something to discard something one of the things that and i was having this conversation with toronto caribbean carnival but one of the like issues in the community is like this lack of ownership Mm. right so yeah like even with these small things it's like we don't own this title we don't own this name so somebody else can come and take it and make money off it you know all these different things but yeah i think this has been such an an interesting conversation i think you've left us with like a lot to think about and even go research like i think i'm gonna go try to find like a (laughs) calypso i'm gonna go look at this smithsonian folkways thing i don't know if it's something that you have to pay for to no you can i think you can get pre a preview okay and if i'm not mistaken i think if you I think you can purchase it online. I, I think okay. I said it's, it's not available for commercial use, but if you want to have it, I think you you can purchase tracks on there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how they use the funds because I think they might be a non-profit organization. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see what 
Kaiso Street Society yes. <laughs> has uh, in the future beyond, you know, the there's so much that you guys are doing. You're reimagining Calypso. You're creating or wanting to create the listening library, working with universities and post-secondary institutions, not yeah. only in the Caribbean, but also around the world. Right. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what you guys do. Me too. I'm 100% a supporter and I look forward to, you know, one day being able to collaborate on something. I think it'll be incredible. I'm confident that, that, that we will. Thank you so much for having me on, yeah. you know, to have to talk about it. Yeah. Where can people find you online? So you can check my website. It's Jesse Ryan Music, M-U-Z-I-K.com. Um, on Instagram and all socials, YouTube, Facebook at at Jesse Ryan Sachs, J-E-S-S-E-R-Y-A-N-S-A-X. I'm a saxophone player and you can check out my music online as well. Nice. And then where can we find Kaiso Street Society? Yeah, so the the website is going to be kaisostreetsociety.org. We're mm-hmm. launching the website on the 8th of December. Nice. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you for Thank joining. You. Absolutely.